This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from usually sunny Southern California, a little bit overcast today, Bob. And this is Bob Ambrogi from uh, rarely sunny Massachusetts. Uh, I write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law, and also the Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Today, Bob, we're going to be talking about age discrimination. Many people don't believe it exists and it's a growing problem in the legal profession. What we're hearing is that uh, many senior attorneys, or gray lawyers as some call them, uh, are being uh, pushed into retirement by their firms or left jobless and uh, face decisions about what their futures will be in the law. So today we're going to be discussing um, the legal profession and how age discrimination plays into it. Are older lawyers being pushed out? What alternatives are there for senior lawyers? And what's being done to assist these attorneys? So to uh, begin the discussion today, let's welcome our guests. First uh, joining us today is Attorney Jean Berman, who is Executive Director of the International Senior Lawyers Project. That's a seven-year-old nonprofit organization whose mission is to promote the rule of law, equitable economic development, and human rights worldwide by providing international pro bono legal assistance Uh, using experienced lawyers, both retired and in active practice, and law firms. Uh, During her six years at uh, ISLP, Ms. Berman has worked with the founding board to implement projects in more than 35 countries, uh, including Africa, throughout Africa, Asia, Eastern Europe, uh, and including Russia and Latin America. Prior to joining ISLP, Ms. Berman was a senior staff attorney at the Lawyers Alliance for New York, where she represented nonprofit organizations serving low-income communities, concentrating on issues relating to the development of affordable housing. Welcome to the show, Jean Berman. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Bob, I'd also like to welcome to our uh, to welcome our next guest, Catherine Madigan, the 110th president of the New York State Bar Association and the fourth woman to hold the association's top office. Catherine Grant Madigan is a partner in the Binghamton Law Office of Levine, Goulden, and Thompson, where her practice areas include trusts and estates and elder law. Capping her 25 years of bar service, President Madigan is dedicated to securing the association's legacy as the voice of the New York lawyer by getting back to the basics and focusing on leadership through service. The law is a service profession, said uh, Kate. The drive to service is what attracts many of us to the profession, she's been quoted as saying. The New York State Bar Association was the principal sponsor of the recommendation to the American Bar Association that calls upon law firms to discontinue the practice of requiring senior lawyers to retire when they reach an arbitrary age. Welcome to the show, Catherine Madigan. I'm glad to be here, and please do call me Kate. Well, Kate, let's start off with age discrimination. As I was scanning the newspaper this morning, uh, the Daily Journal out here in Southern California, there was an article about Michael Emick, who's the top prosecutor in uh, one of in the L.A. office, was prosecuting a Republican congressman, 25 years of service, used to be one of Ken Starr's deputies in the Office of Independent Counsel, 
And now that investigation of this Republican congressman is foundering. He's uh, being forced to retire. He's the third person who's been in charge of the investigation. And the article says that the uh, lawyer, uh, the Republican congressman last year spent $900,000 in his defense, according to campaign disclosures. This year, only 12000 uh, Are you seeing the kinds of uh, screw-ups like this where uh, forced retirement is, cre- is having a much larger, broader ripple effect? Well, the, the whole issue of, of retirement, I think, is, is, is more of an issue of the larger firms than the solo small firm practitioners across the country. The average lawyer in, in this country, as well as in New York State, is a solo small firm practitioner. Um, but about uh, 30 to 40 percent of our population works in large law firms in major metropolitan areas. And the study that we conducted last year under the leadership of my predecessor, Mark Alcott, um, which studied the issue of mandatory age-based retirement, um, did find that um, whether it's in a big or small firm, there's really no legitimate reason to embrace that. And, And that's really what prompted our decision to go to the American Bar Association for a public policy position that um, age-based criteria should be discontinued for law partnerships and that law firms should simply evaluate their senior partners individually, um, consistent with whatever their performance criteria might be. Well, Kate, what what led the New York State Bar to conduct this study in the first place? I mean, is there a, a problem that you perceive and that needs to be addressed? Well, I think what really prompted it is that I think we're all looking at this uh, the, the gray lawyer issue because we've got this huge baby boomer population that's going to be retiring over the next 10 to 15 years in significant numbers. In fact, um, the American Bar Association estimates that about 40,000 lawyers a year will begin to retire or think about altering their work um, environment over the next couple of years. So it's, it's going to have a significant impact on the profession. So um, Mark Alcott, as president last year, uh, addressed a number of senior lawyer issues, including age-based retirement uh, requirements. And um, we're certainly not recommending any legislation or regulation in the area. Um, So the resolution that was adopted by the American Bar Association and by our association is is non-binding. But we are hopeful that it will become uh, one of our profession's uh, best practices. Um, You know, we know that lawyers are living longer and healthier. Um, Many are still active and productive, even well into their 70s and 80s and, and, and later and uh, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a reasonable basis to force the retirement of an, attor- of an attorney in, in some firms in New York City, age 62, and force them to seek um, um, another affiliation. Well, Jean, as seniors do retire as lawyers, what kind of alternatives are available to them? Well, first, I'd like to say that um, that's a perfect. Kate, Kate's statement was a perfect lead-in to to what we do and what I'd like to talk about. Both that uh, um, tens of thousands of lawyers are are going to be retiring uh, beginning um, in the next years, and that uh, many of them are are living longer and healthier and are certainly fully capable of of. Um, uh, using the skills that they've acquired over a lifetime of experience, uh, and um, a, a um, movement to um, to protect lawyers from from retirement uh, might actually be somewhat adverse to our interests because we love retired lawyers, uh, and and uh, we we have found that um, 
they're, uh, they have an incredible value uh, with their lifetime of experience and their skills um, in undertaking work internationally to um, promote the rule of law, human rights, and, uh, as, as you said earlier, equitable economic development. Um, the, the International Senior Lawyers Project basically uh, develops projects for senior lawyers, whether retired or not retired, and, and many of them um, are, are sort of stepping back somewhat from their practice, but not fully retired, so they have extra time. Uh, we develop projects that range from very short-term, two-day training programs to long-term on-site assignments abroad with human rights organizations and with uh, governmental agencies. Um, uh, you know, if you'd like some examples, I'd be happy, happy to keep talking. Well, I'd, I'd like to hear more about it. I'd, I'd like to, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, point out that uh, here in Massachusetts, uh, we have a, a similar project on a, on a more local scale called Senior Partners for Justice that a, a retired uh, family court judge started f about three years ago in which he's been bringing uh, retired and, and older uh, lawyers uh, uh, to, who, uh, to uh, participate in pro bono projects around the state. Um, uh, and uh, from what I understand, there are there are similar uh, projects, uh, at least uh, here and there around the country. I, 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 it all makes me wonder. I mean, when I when I was a, a young, <laughs> a younger person growing up, I, I used to believe that with age came wisdom. And uh, have we lost sight of that, or or is that still the case? Well, let, let me let me let me step in because I one thing I the good news, Gene is that our research demonstrated that um, although there are attorneys that want to stay in practice past age 65 or 70, that many, many attorneys decide to retire well before any bright-line mandatory retirement age that are looking towards reduced schedules, opportunities for mentoring younger attorneys, and what we call that second season of service. And, and there's no question that I think the state and national and international bar associations really need to kind of embrace this new, what I call a new aging paradigm, that um, instead of looking at retirement as an endpoint, you've got to re really reframe it because there's right. tremendous opportunity for personal growth, volunteerism, pro bono, exactly what you're trying to do in your organization, making a difference. And, and as, as, as was just mentioned, these attorneys do have a lifetime of experience, and they do have a certain wisdom. And I think that, from our perspective, um, one of the one of the most valuable features of our program is that we're sending attorneys abroad who have a long perspective, who have seen a, a wide range of of problems and issues in their lives, and, and are not going over um, with sort of the, a very a naive view of how you deal with problems uh, in a foreign culture or even in our own culture, and um, because of that, and also because um, in many overseas places, being a senior person does uh, give you a certain amount of gravitas and respect much greater than a younger person has. So for those reasons, um, senior lawyers are, are, I think, particularly effective and valuable and useful uh, in dealing with some of uh, the world's most serious problems that that we all know must be dealt with in order to achieve a peaceful, sustainable world. And what we're finding is that um, 
many attorneys across New York State as well as um, nationally are, are really embracing a lot of these uh, second season of service type initiatives um, with uh, organizations like the International Senior Lawyers Project. Um, for example, the second season of service that was an initiative of Karen Mathis, the immediate past president of the ABA, um, they're looking at retirement policies, best practices to assist this massive uh, group of lawyers transitioning out of full-time practice, and ways in which we can continue to provide those opportunities for both community and, uh, and pro bono service. And, and another thing I was going to share with you, Jean, which might help you sell this to that, uh, to that market, which is, is growing uh, daily, is that I think a related issue is really the failure to plan. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's like estate planning. Right. We know we need to do it, but we tend to put it off. Right. And one of the things that, that I tell lawyers who, who are not retired yet but are sort of beginning to think about the future uh, that they should do is to, if they haven't done it already, they should try while they're still in practice to get involved in some pro bono work. It really um, prepares you for working with nonprofit organizations and dealing with other kinds of issues. And everyone can. I mean, there are a lot of corporate lawyers who wonder what it is they can do, but there are plenty of nonprofit organizations that need the advice of, of uh, commercial law practicing lawyers, um, ranging from you know real estate leases to negotiating a loan or hiring employees and looking at their personnel policies. Some of the criticism of, of lawyers, uh, senior lawyers, focuses on their inability to deal with technological changes as law firms get more technology added, and they're also reluctant to participate in the new marketing that occurs in law firms because older lawyers tend to grow, tend to grow up or tended to grow up when there were not much there was not much in terms of marketing more than just simply networking. How do, how do you respond to the, these two levels of criticism, the level of senior lawyers and a reason that they really should retire out of law firms? Well, let's talk about technology. I, I think that um, anymore um, there's, there, there, there's absolutely an issue for, for, for lawyers that are in their 70s and 80s in terms of technology. So we're exploring ways in which we can create connections and mentoring relationships between the senior lawyers and the younger attorneys who are, as you know, technologically quite proficient. Um, so I think we can start to address that, and I can tell you even in my own community, local offices for aging have uh, programs to educate not just lawyers but seniors generally of the miracles of modern technology and, and why they do want to get online and really participate um, with those kinds of communications. Um, but I, I think by and large, uh, most attorneys do, do indeed embrace at least a, a transitional schedule to less than full-time and are eagerly looking for opportunities for volunteerism. We just need to be able to produce that for them and also help them adjust, as you say, from, you know, this very structured type of environment, most of them are working 24-7, to one where they they need to be striking more of a balance. We've had uh, a lot of our volunteers are still practicing lawyers, but they're senior and they're able to take uh, a sabbatical or a few weeks off. We've had had, uh, lawyers from Boston um, two terrific volunteers, one from Goulston and Stores and the other from Sugarman Rogers, um, uh, take off several weeks to work on site abroad uh, with with, non, with human rights organizations. Uh, we had a partner, two uh, partners from two law firms in Maine. One went to Mongolia for three months to work with the Human Rights and Deve- uh, the Center for Human Rights and Development. 
the other went to India for five months to work with the Human Rights Law Network. Both were in there, actually, in their 50s and uh, just took sabbaticals to do this. So um, just following up on what you said, Kate, about lawyers beginning to sort of want to look at different options and, and not fully retire but cut back, uh, we've had a lot of experience with that, that that's the case. And a lot of interest. And look at the real numbers here, the raw numbers. If you've got 40,000 lawyers a year thinking about retiring over the next couple of years, right. you multiply that by 50 hours a year per attorney. You're looking over 2 million volunteer hours every year. Right. That's and there's... a huge shot in the arm for civil legal services programs, pro bono, etc. Right. Yeah. There, there was a, a report, uh, the, the American Lawyer Magazine has an article this week that talks about uh, the fact that, that some large firms are, are starting to get wise to this and, and actually recruiting uh, uh, partners who've retired from other large firms, uh, especially those that uh, can help in, in their uh, marketing and networking and, and helping to uh, get established in, in cities that... Uh, large firms want to move into. But there have also, at the same time, been a couple of high-profile cases over the last couple of years uh, in which uh, uh, older partners have alleged age discrimination uh, and have, and have uh, instituted litigation against large firms. Uh, like the Sidley, the Sidley Austin case. Like right, that? Right. Well, I, I saw that article, um, cashing in on the golden years, and right. what I thought was very interesting is that the recruiters are now, because more and more firms are looking for lateral partners, um, because of the cost of training um, young associates, and that these laterals are now choosing firms that have more flexible retirement approaches. Um, but the Sidley Austin case, I mean, that may well tell the tale. And just to fill your listeners in, um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission alleged that Sidley had engaged in age discrimination with regard to some of their senior partners. And the major issue is, is whether or not they're really employees that they really don't function as partners with a great deal of control over compensation and management policies. And if the court determines that law firm partners are indeed employees, then they will be covered under federal age discrimination laws, and you're going to be looking at quite a few firms that may be confronting um, similar challenges to age-based retirement policies. Right. And in, in, in the U.K. this year, there was uh, allegations uh, that, that Freshfields uh, had uh, reconfigured its its retirement policies and it, its uh, profit-sharing policies in a way that discriminated against uh, uh, senior members of the firm. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure that that case has been resolved either. Well, the U.K. has an even, even earlier retirement ages than, than we have, as low as 55 in some of the firms. Yeah. But, but, but so, the, so my question is, I mean, while some firms clearly recognize the value of, of more senior lawyers, and, and while organizations uh, such as Jeans recognize the value, what is it, you know, Craig mentioned technology, but what else is dri- is it is it economics that drives large firms to pr- push an early retirement age, or, or what is it? Well, there's, obviously there's a sense that it's important to transition the clients to the younger generation. Um, so, and then, the, of course, you've got your younger guard that is hoping to make, you know, an increase their compensation due to the retirement of, of the senior lawyers. But I don't think it's really, a, it's, it's not an economic issue if you've got a highly productive senior attorney that wants to continue to work and is, and, and is, uh, is profitable. So I, I think that sometimes that economic issue is a bit of a, a, bit of a red herring. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. When we return, we'll get some final thoughts from our guests. 
We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayhavepleasethecourt.com, Likewise, Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. Uh, Back with us are our guests, Attorney Gene Berman, Executive Director of the International Senior Lawyers Project, and Kate Madigan, President of the New York State Bar Association, which uh, was successful in getting the ABA this year to adopt uh, an initiative uh, uh, against uh, mandatory retirement of lawyers uh, at, at large firms. Uh, Gene, I, one of the questions I want to ask you about is is uh, what uh, how how you help uh, senior lawyers uh, kind of make this transition to pro bono work. Do you provide training? Do you provide mentoring, uh, if you will? Uh, how does that work? I think today, wouldn't you agree, Gene, that today most of the major firms really do promote pro bono participation um, through um, all the ranks, associates, as well as partnership? Yes, there, there's a big push to do more pro bono, and that's partly in part due to um, bar associations uh, setting pro bono goals and uh, the, the Pro Bono Institute doing that, the challenge, the pro bono challenge, and the American Lawyer Magazine's A-list which ranks pro bono among the four categories, pro bono is given double weight. 
uh, along with, I guess, uh, profits per lawyer or whatever the other <laughs> business business category is. And that, that those have all had a big effect on the big firms in pro bono. We have had many, many volunteers who come from small firms, from public defender offices uh, as well. So I think there's generally a public spirit uh, among lawyers. As you said earlier, it's a service prof- uh, profession. Um, as far as training and mentoring, we're still a very small organization. We just grew in the past um, six months from a staff of two to a staff of five, uh, which is very exciting for us, but still small. And we're just beginning to, we're having our first volunteer roundtable conference um, this October uh, to, to meet with volunteers and talk about how the experience was for them and what we could do to make it better. We haven't um, undertaken training programs yet, but we work really closely with the organization that our volunteer is going to uh, be assisting to develop a plan of work uh, so that everybody has a clear idea of, of what the volunteer will do when he or she hits the ground. Yeah, and at the State Bar, we have a pro bono project that will link um, interested attorneys with various legal services organizations that will provide the malpractice coverage as well as the necessary training. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, what we're trying to do is also um, incentivize um, the opportunity for firms to eliminate age-based retirement policies, by actually having an honor roll of those firms that have eliminated age as a criteria. And we also recognize, as Empire State Council, attorneys in New York State that have devoted a minimum of 50 hours each year for legal services for the poor. So we're really talking here about kind of parallel tracks. One is one is a, uh, enabling uh, more senior lawyers to remain uh, active in their chosen fields of practice, and, and the other is kind of tapping into their experience and knowledge uh, for pro bono uh, in in uh, in furtherance of justice uh, work here and, and around the globe. And, they seem to work hand in hand, but what do you do when you have a kind of a, say, a, a lifelong, maybe a, a, a corporate lawyer who, who hasn't done much much pro bono work, uh, but wants to get into it? Uh, what what kind of advice do you have for somebody uh, who wants to be able to put their skills to to use uh, in pro bono? Well, my suggestion, if they're if they're New York lawyers or if they they're members of the state bar, they should contact their state bar association's pro bono office, which would be ha- happy to work with them to identify an area where their skills can be best used and to provide the necessary training and, and connection. Um, the American Bar Association with their, their senior uh, second season of service initiatives also provides that type of um, uh, opportunities for interested senior lawyers. Right, and we have a range of projects that actually draw upon the skills of business lawyers. For example, we have a commercial law training program for black lawyers in South Africa, and we've had um, uh, probably 15 or 20 lawyers uh, participate in that, we, and that program's being expanded to other African countries. We have a trade negotiation training program. We've also done, provided transactional assistance both to developing country governments like the government of Liberia um, and to nonprofit organizations. Uh, so there are there are plenty opportunities plenty of opportunities for uh, commercially trained corporate lawyers, as well as litigators, of course. Well, we spent some time talking about lawyers, and uh, we should probably take a moment to talk about judges. Now, we don't have to worry about forced retirement for federal judges because of their lifetime appointments, but many state courts require their judges to retire at 65. What 
opportunities are available for judges apart from the pro bono work uh, given their training? I think that uh, one thing we really haven't talked about uh, today is about the, the opportunities for mentoring. Um, so I think there's a special role to be played by uh, retired judges in that respect. I think most of us would agree that we've had one and probably a number of mentors in our careers, and, and we encourage um, our retiring judiciary as well as senior lawyers to just pay that forward and, um, and take on that responsibility and that sacred trust to work with young attorneys um, and even to get back in the classroom and in the community forums to demystify the law, the importance of an independent, um, fair and impartial judiciary. You know, No Child Left Behind has forced a lot of schools to eliminate civics. And so I think retired judges have an ideal opportunity to get that message out, uh, not just to young attorneys, but to um, communities and, and our, our, our youth in our schools. And uh, on the international level, there's a huge amount of judicial reform and judicial training work going on all over the world, um, particularly in developing countries, in post, post-communist countries, uh, where there are new legal systems in place. There's a tremendous need for judicial training. Uh, so um, there's, there are several organizations uh, that, that uh, recruit ju- judges to help them, like the International Association of Women Judges um, is one of them, and there are several others. Well, our, our program in Massachusetts that I mentioned earlier was, was founded by a, a retired judge, and, and uh, uh, he, uh, that, that retired judge uh, happened to uh, uh, rope me into the program uh, when uh, he and I were on a trip to Russia, in which he was uh, helping to uh, uh, train uh, 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 current judges in Russia on some of the issues that he's dealt with uh, in his career. So uh, obviously there's one retired judge who's found uh, a number of ways uh, to put What's his, his name? That's Judge Ginsburg. <laughs> I need to get in touch with him. <laughs> judge Ed Ginsburg, uh, Senior Partners for Justice uh, in uh-huh. Massachusetts. How do you find retirement as it affects uh, law schools and law professors and deans around the country? Is it an issue for our law schools as well? I think it's something that the law schools need to address because it's all part of that that continuum of lawyering. And um, we see a role to be played by the the law schools about the importance of of pro bono, uh, which should continue throughout their career. Uh, in, In terms of transition planning, um, I'm not aware of any law schools right now that are that are focused on that, but I think as this baby boomer population continues to uh, move towards retirement and the impact it will have on the profession, um, I'm sure it will be coming along. They have a lot of alumni that they probably want to keep involved with them in some way or another, so it would be in their interest, I think, to address the issue. Is there a flip side to the issue of aging lawyers? I mean, we haven't really talked about the question of, of whether there are some lawyers who who uh, are practicing uh, but who, who may need assistance, uh, who may be uh, uh, in, a, in a situation where uh, their uh, facilities are not as sharp as they once were. I mean, does the bar get involved at all in, in that side of the issue, or is that one that Absolutely. needs addressing? Absolutely. In fact, another resolution um, that passed the, at the ABA meeting in August related to law practice continuity, particularly for solo and small firms. And the New York State Bar Association has been right in, out front. We've got a, um, we've got a, a wonderful materials on, on DVD, CDs, and, and, um, and, and booklets about planning ahead and the importance of having an exit plan, whether the attorney becomes disabled um, or uh, retires or passes away. 
So we're very much paying attention to that, encouraging solo small firms in particular to designate a caretaker attorney to step in in the event of retirement disability or death. We've put together model forms, and we're doing everything we can to spread the word um, because it's particularly important, um, as you know, for the smaller or solo practitioner. Well, the time has come for us to wrap up our program and get final thoughts and contact information from our two guests, uh, Kate Madigan and Jean Berman. So, uh, Jean, let's start with you. Can you wrap up, give us your final thoughts, and provide our, our listeners with your contact information, please? Certainly. Well, I, I think what I want to say is that I think lawyers are very lucky to have had to have the profession they have and or have had it if they're in retirement. They have a great deal to offer uh, the world, the, the, their local community, the national community, the international community, in terms of issues that I think uh, uh, we are all very aware must be addressed uh, if we're to survive in this world. So I encourage lawyers to appreciate how much they have to offer and to, and to think about it. And, and uh, certainly if they're interested in international volunteer work, they should contact us. We have a website, www.islp.org, uh, and uh, all our contact information is up there. If you prefer a phone number, it's 212-895-1022. And Kate Madigan. Um, let me just second what Jean said, and, and also um, because we talked a lot about aging and retirement, which too many attorneys, I think, look as an endpoint instead of recognizing that um, aging is an, it can be really be a new beginning. So I encourage, especially as an elder law attorney, um, I encourage my colleagues as well as my client to approach aging more consciously, creatively, and as a new beginning, and, um, and use it as an opportunity to share their skills and their wisdom base. Um, with those that are, are less fortunate or younger than they. And um, you, can, you can check out the New York State Bar Association's opportunities through our pro bono project by going to our website at www.nysba.org. You can also uh, cl uh, click on Read the President's blog. Um, well, I'll be talking about this in the future. That's also on our website. And I'd also encourage uh, your listeners to also um, check out the second season of service initiatives uh, through the American Bar Association. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for participating in today's program. We sincerely appreciate your thoughts and the opportunity here, and I'm sure it's be a topic that will be near and dear to many of our listeners' hearts. Thanks to both of you. You're very welcome. Happy to, happy to participate. Craig, look forward to talking to you next week. Likewise, Bob, and hopefully it will be sunny for both of us. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.